Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Well Church Satterton's podcast. We pray that you enjoy this message and that it creates a well of hope in your life today. I want to tell you that so badly today, I wanted to prepare a Thanksgiving message. I hope your holiday was amazing. I hope that you are aware of the goodness of God in your life and that you are truly thankful for the things that he's done and you celebrated together. I wanted so badly to read you presidential proclamations about Thanksgiving. You know, the ones where presidents in the past have encouraged us to thank God. And I thought that tied in really well with the series we're in called First a Worshipper. But the Lord had other plans. And it's been my experience that when I sit down with the Lord about what to share with you guys, I'm not sure the Lord knows it's a holiday. It's been what's happened to me. It's gotten to the point where I will not schedule myself to preach near a holiday because it'll be Mother's Day and the Lord will be like, let's talk about tithing. And you guys know that's not going to go well with the mothers. So if your expectation is a Thanksgiving service, I'm going to give you some verses. But at this point, what happened was we had to juggle the schedule around. So it's Thanksgiving weekend and you have me talking and I'm not going to talk about thankfulness and gratitude except to say this in Colossians 3 verse 16 it says let the teaching of Christ live in you richly use all wisdom to teach and instruct each other by singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God verse 17 everything you do or say should be done to obey Jesus your Lord in all you do, give thanks to God the Father. Also in Colossians 4.2, it's under a chapter heading that says what Christians are supposed to do. Isn't it great that the people who edited the Bible gave us that heading that says we're supposed to do this. And verse 2 says, continue praying, keeping alert, always thanking God. And 1 Thessalonians, the letter of 1 Thessalonians ends with this verse. Always be joyful, pray continually, and give thanks whatever happens. That's what God wants for you in Jesus Christ. So I did that just to prove I could talk to you about thankfulness. And I hope you had a great holiday. But open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3. We're in a series called First a Worshipper. If you've journeyed with us for any length of time, you know that one of our core values is the presence of God. The well, this church, was established around the idea of creating a place for people to spend time in the presence of God. One of the primary ways we do this is worship. Worshiping God must be our focus. The series is called First a Worshipper because everything else we do launches out of our identity as worshipers. There's a lot of focus on your new identity in Jesus. The Bible lays out a number of changes in our identity that happened when we received Jesus and what he did for us. But when people teach on those, our identity as a worshiper is often overlooked. Worship is one of our priorities and our identity as believers is first as worshipers. As followers of Jesus, our main job is ministering to the Lord and that everything we do as far as ministering to other people is an overflow and an outgrowth of that ministry. We are created to be worshipers first. Our God does not demand that we worship. 
Our God does not command us to worship him. Instead, he's designed a system of divine exchange. We bring our simple songs to him and he reveals himself to us. Then, in a supernatural process of our spirit connecting with his spirit, he often repairs and refocuses us. We aren't worshiping for what we can get. And you've probably heard people teach that worship should be God-focused, not us-focused. And I agree with that, except that God is very us-focused. He's very focused on us. And I know that challenges a lot of people, and we don't want to overlook that God is all about you. So in the process of divine exchange, as we put our focus on him and sing our simple songs, he engages us and invites us to be healed and whole. So recently what God's been doing in our worship time has been pretty significant. Worship night was pretty significant. We've been going deeper. We have been going to deep places and experiencing more of the awareness of the presence of God. I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you are actually here because of worship? It's okay. I'm I'm not offended. We're here because of worship. This is a house of worship. Our very first core value, you guys know this, says we value the presence of God. Without that, we're just a social club. Moses was willing to look like a failure and stay in the wilderness if the presence of God wasn't going with him into the promised land. And I want to speak into that phrase. We use that a lot. Moses was willing to look like a failure, not take the people of Israel into the promised land if the presence of God wasn't going with them. And I'll make this statement that sometimes when people hold this body up to the gauge that they measure successful churches, we might look like a failure. But I'm willing to look like a failure if the presence of God isn't going with me. I'm not about filling the seats and leaving the presence of God behind We intentionally linger in worship in order to allow the Holy Spirit to lead. That's really uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I'm not saying this to say that we're better than anyone else. This is just the place the Holy Spirit brought us to. So there's a place for counseling. There's a place for programs that lead to growth. But during the times we spend together in the presence of God, interacting with the Holy Spirit during worship is when we've observed the most change in people. So this church has decided to be a place that honors the presence of God above all else. And that's why we linger probably a lot longer than a lot of churches. And again, I don't say that to say what anyone else is doing is bad. We don't have a fixed set time for worship to end. We worship until it feels complete. There isn't a backing track or a click in my ear that tells me when a song ends and it's time to move on. When we enter into the presence of God, we have the pleasure and privilege of interacting with the Lord of all the universe. And it would be wrong to end the visit before he wants to end the visit. So there's a question that we should ask. And this is the question. Where did all the rules and guidelines around worship time and structure that have now become people's expectations of worship time come from? How did this happen? How did it happen that people have an expectation and such a small capacity for worship? So here's the answer, and I think it will surprise you, but it'll make sense to you. The answer is television. And I'm going to tell you why. 
You may not know this, but when I was a college student, I was part of a church that televised their weekly service. So the television slot was one hour. So worship was 18 to 28 minutes, no matter what. Each song had a time signature. It would say four minutes and 37 seconds. And that's how long it took to sing that song. And to make sure it took that long, they put a click in an earphone that shows you the beats. It also sounds really cool because the whole band stays together. You know, so when we go to the recording studio and we're recording a song, we play to a click. Everybody plays it with the same beat. There's no sliding around. You know, the drummer doesn't get off the guitar. Everybody stays. So it's a recording technique that people use in the studio. And that beats, those clicks, keep the band together. So there's benefit to it. But it also means you can't take the long way around. You can't take the scenic route. You can't slow down the song to make a point. We do this all the time. We play it faster. We play it slow. You can't take a detour. You can't take the scenic route. It has to be played the way it's played in order to fit the television schedule. Now, this church also had, on Sunday nights, a Holy Spirit service. And there were no rules in the Holy Spirit service about the worship. They could worship. They could repeat. You know, and as college students, we were only required to go to one service. So guess which one we went to. Um, but anyway, it had to fit the television schedule. So at some point, many churches started to copy the churches on TV. They're successful. We view them successful. We're going to do what they do in order to be successful. So they incorporated fixed song times. Because a set ending worship became the perception of what successful churches do. Follow this out for years and it actually becomes everyone's expectation for a worship service. And a a capacity of 18 to 28 minutes of worship is what normal Christians, most Christians have. Around here, if I end worship at the 40 minute mark, some of you guys think what's wrong, something isn't right. We did that today because we're going to worship again at the end. But all Christians have a capacity for worship. And your capacity to worship the living God is actually limitless. Worship is what we'll be doing in eternity forever. Praise God, there's still churches on television. And they're going to reach people that we could never reach. And if we copy them, we'll never reach the people we're supposed to reach. Today, many churches stream. And it's really funny Streaming doesn't need a set ending. As a matter of fact, people often pause streaming church services to go refill their coffee cup. So it's, I find it ironic that people still worship with a set ending instead of worshiping until it feels complete. The worthiness of God to be worshipped cannot be measured by time. I'm going to say that again. The worthiness of God to be worshipped cannot be measured by time. He is as worthy at the beginning of the worship service as he is at the end of the worship service. We aren't alone in the way we worship. God's people all over the world are awakening to their capacity for worship being limitless. Now, I'm going to take a quick detour because sometimes people who love to worship, so worship will always be the center of everything we do. Remember, worship is one of our priorities and our identities as believers is first worshipers. 
as followers of Jesus, our main job is ministering to the Lord and that everything we do as far as ministering to people should be an overflow and outgrowth of our primary ministry. We're created to be worshipers first. So turn with me to Ezra 3. Ezra is really a book about worship. You may not have seen it that way before. It's the story of the restoration of the house of Israel. Israel had been sold into slavery to King Nebuchadnezzar because of their idolatry and disobedience. The Lord in his kindness and faithfulness raised up the prophet Jeremiah, and he spoke that one day Israel would return to their homeland. And it's important to understand there were three groups, three returns from the exile in Babylon to Jerusalem. The first group that returned was led by a man named Zerubbabel, which I'm going to be saying a lot today. He is in the lineage of Christ. And we need to understand that only the only way out of captivity is through Christ. So Zerubbabel brings 50,000 Israelites back to Jerusalem. They've been captives in Babylon, and they're being brought back to Jerusalem with one goal, and their goal is to rebuild the temple. The temple was everything to the people of Israel. Our temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, should be everything to the born-again believer. You are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The temple of God was everything to the people of Israel. You are now the temple of the living God. And I want you to kind of get shaken with that reality. Worship is our purest form of expression as humans. But it's not just singing songs to fill up time in the service. And our capacity to worship gets bigger and bigger and bigger the more we honor the sacredness of the living God making us home inside of us. So Zerubbabel leads 50,000 people out of Babylon. And notice the first thing they do when they get to Jerusalem. We're going to read this, Ezra 3. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man. So there was some unity happening to Jerusalem. Verse 2, Then arose Joshua the son of Josiach with his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel the son of Sheetael and his kinsmen, and they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses. Verse 3, They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord. They burnt offerings morning and evening. So this was the first reinstatement of the daily sacrifice that was lost when Israel was taken in to captivity. So the restoration of the temple did not actually begin with the walls. The restoration of the temple began with the altar, not the walls. And the restoration of who you are as a person does not begin with your outward appearance. But it begins with the very altar of your heart where the Holy Spirit himself dwells. The place where you bring a sacrifice of worship to God. It's not the songs we sing. It's not the strum of the guitar. It's the burning sacrifice of you as an individual that you offer up as your daily sacrifice to the Lord. And this is what we're protecting. We're protecting the purity of worship that comes from God alone, that comes from the Holy Spirit, lighting the flame inside of us and consuming the sacrifice. So we are a house of worship. 
We are a house that protects the living flame of the Holy Spirit. So Ezra starts with an altar. Their goal was to rebuild the temple. But first, they had to start with the altar. And then it says this in verse 8. Skip ahead to that. Now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God in Jerusalem, in the second month, so actually a lot of time has passed. Not a lot, a little more than a year. Zerubbabel, the son of an amazing man, and Joshua, the son of Jozak, made a beginning together with the rest of the kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. There, I'm sorry, they appointed Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the house of the Lord. So who is overseeing the work of the house of the Lord? The Levites. How many of you know that you are a Levite? Worship is one of our ultimate priorities and our identities as believer is first as worshipers. We were created to be worshipers first. And the worshipers were the very ones that were trusted to supervise the rebuilding of the temple. And we don't know what they can do. We don't know if they can cut stone. We don't know if they have natural leadership abilities or social media followings. We don't know if they could preach or run the sound or play instruments. But we do know they had the heart of God for worship. And they had a divine assignment. And therefore, there was grace for them to have wisdom to build when others may not have had the same wisdom. Do you know that you have an assignment for worship that only you can fill in your own God-appointed authority? For all of eternity, you will have a place as a Levite ministering to the Lord. So when we opt out of worship on this side of eternity, we're missing out on our true place of authority. Your greatest authority will come at your level of worship because your greatest authority is seated in heavenly places. Your greatest perspective is when you are worshiping. Your greatest authority over whatever is coming against you is when you are worshiping. Your greatest authority over sickness and disease, your greatest authority over lies that you believe or disappointment or lack is when you are worshiping. You are a Levite and you are building the temple of God inside of you that protects the flame of worship. So together, we're building a place, a house of worship. You are also a house of worship. Your design as a human is a living temple of the Holy Spirit. So turn over to Ezra 4. Or navigate over. Verse 1 says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin had heard the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him since the days of some king of Assyria. Who brought us here? But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the fathers of Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in the building of the house of our Lord, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, the, as King Cyrus of Persia has commanded us to. And verse 4 says, When the people of the land, I'm sorry, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build, they bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Have you ever felt frustrated trying to do the thing God created you to do? Verse 5, 
and they bribe counselors to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Verse 6, And in the reign of somebody, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah. And there's something we just read you have to know in order to be successful in walking out the thing God created you for. And it's this. When you're building a place of worship, opposition will come. What does the enemy hate? He hates worship. It's his very place in heaven. His authority was actually leading worship in heavenly places. Our place of authority as worship, seated in heavenly places. It's now the authority of humans to partner with the Holy Spirit to build an altar of worship here, as well as build an altar of worship inside ourselves to protect the flame of worship. So when you bring a sacrifice of worship as a Levite or bring an offering of praise as a priest before God, your authority is being released. Opposition will come because of your authority as a worshiper. You can overcome that opposition. Anything worth building will be opposed. When opposition comes, when discouragement comes, when fear comes, I worship. I get into the presence of God and allow the revelation of who he is and who he created me to be to overwhelm discouragement and fear. And I want to challenge you that being a worshiper isn't just about the hour or so we worship together here once a week. Building the altar of God inside of us can't just be a once a week activity. What does your daily sacrifice to the Lord look like? And I know you're at home with your kids and you're worshiping and all of a sudden you get distracted. Do you guys ever get distracted? It's really easy to get distracted. We live in a very distracting world and the opposition is coming. It's easy to lose focus, become discouraged or afraid. And I want to show you in the Bible what Zerubbabel did when this happened to him. The work of rebuilding the temple stopped because of fear, because of discouragement, because of distraction. They began to listen to their fears and their doubts. They began to listen to their advisors and the counselors set against them. They began to listen to the lies and they stopped building the house of God. Their inner world, who they are, their beliefs about God and their worship were all challenged. So it says in Ezra chapter 5, turn over to that. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem. You guys have heard of those guys, right? We actually have those prophecies. We're going to look at them. All right. In the name of God of Israel who was over them, verse 2, then Zerubbabel, the son of that amazing man, and Joshua, the son of someone, also began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were there supporting them. So don't be distracted by all those names I didn't read. Look at what's happening. The work on the temple had stopped because they were afraid. They knew God created them for the building of the temple, but it was hard and they had experienced resistance. So God speaks to them through the prophets Haggai and Zechariah and they start building again. So this is why when I receive a prophetic word, I record it and file it on an online drive so I can access it anytime I'm discouraged or afraid. When it comes to the things God has asked me to build and I become afraid, 
I can listen to the prophecy. Prophets are there to say it's about him. What you're building is worthwhile. What you're doing is worthwhile. This is why we encourage you guys to prophesy to each other. And and we bring in prophetic people to encourage you with words. And I want you to go with me to Zechariah. Turn over to Zechariah chapter 4. When the prophets Haggai and the prophet Zechariah began to prophesy, I want you to know what they were prophesying. So here's where we're at. Here is Zerubbabel. Imagine you're Zerubbabel. You've been rebuilding the temple for around 20 years. It took 23 years to complete the temple. Sometimes we read the Bible and think everything happens fast. This was a journey. The rebuilding of our lives is a journey. What the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us is a journey. But it's worth protecting the flame of God at all costs. So imagine you're Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, who has a prophetic word from Jeremiah. Jeremiah has given a word. This was going to happen. And Zerubbabel leads 50,000 people out of captivity back to Jerusalem. He builds the temple for 20 or so years. He gets discouraged. He gets frustrated. He becomes afraid. He stops building. So what does God do? He raises up two more prophets to come to Zerubbabel and Zechariah. Um, Zerubbabel. And Zechariah says this in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man being awakened from sleep. Verse 2, and he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand of gold with a bowl on top of it. Picture this in your mind. And seven lamps on it with seven lips on each lamp that are on top of it. Verse 3, and there are two olive trees by it. One to the right of the bowl and the other to its left. All right, stop reading. He's having an angelic visitation. He's awake because he was woken up like a man is awakened. I'm glad it was clear on that. He's having an angelic visitation without reading the interpretation. Why don't you figure out if you can figure out what this vision means? Everybody's got it. Everybody knows what it means. All right, so I'm going to read it again. Think about this. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I see, behold, a lampstand of gold with a bowl on top of it, seven lamps on that, seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there's two olive trees, one on the right and one on the left. So you guys have your interpretations? You know what it means? Right, me neither. Uh, When I read this, I was really unsure. This is a good example of why we need to seek God when he shows us a picture and ask him what it means and ask him to explain. Don't feel bad because Zechariah actually doesn't know either. Verse four, and I said to the angel who talked to me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered, do you not know what these are? So thank God he's honest and he says, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Oh, ah, ah. Now imagine Zechariah came to Zerubbabel and said, hey, I saw a lamp with a bowl, some lips, some trees. Is he going to be encouraged? So he had to figure out what the Lord was showing them him and how to share it. All right. So this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, makes sense now, right? Okay. (laughs) Not by might, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Verse seven. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain and he shall bring forward the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And this is you and I right now facing any opposition, hopelessness, fear, cancer, whatever it is. What are you, great mountain? You will become a plain and God will bring forth the top stone. Who's the top stone? Jesus. With shouts of grace, grace. Not shouts of strive, strive or earn, earn or work, work. Shouts of grace, grace. Now they still had to build. But shouts of grace, grace. And then the word, um, verse 8, sorry. And then the word of the Lord came to me saying, these are the hands of Zerubbabel. I'm sorry, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Verse 10, for whoever has despised the day of small beginnings shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So what God is building inside of you and I is to protect the flame of the Lord, the temple that he is building inside of you. You might be discouraged. You might be afraid. You might be un- not be sure of where you're at. It's okay. Connect with a prophet. Go to the prayer room after service. Get yourself to home group. They will encourage you. They will support you. They will say, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Look how far you've come. Look at what the Lord has done. Don't despise this mountain. How big is your God? This isn't hype. This is how we protect the flame of God. This is our very core, the core of who we are. This is where our authority comes from. It's not from practicing spirituality. It's from partnering with the living God inside of us, the very Holy Spirit. When Zerubbabel was afraid and discouraged, the Lord gave him a word through Zechariah, and the building of the temple resumed. But there was also a word spoken by Haggai. Turn over to Haggai chapter 2. I'm sure you guys are turning right there and know where it is. Turn over to Haggai chapter 2. I'll read it to you. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, verse 2, Speak to Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not in your eyes as nothing? See, the people were saying that the temple they were building was not as awesome as the temple that was destroyed. So verse 4, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 5, According to the word that I covenanted with you, When you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake the nations, and they will come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. 
The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. And you and I are the fulfillment of that word. You are the latter glory of Haggai. You are the temple that is far more beautiful than Solomon's temple. You are worth more than millions and millions and millions of dollars of gold and silver. It was worth in that time and in this time. You're worth more than the Acadia wood, all the fine linens, all the exquisite things that God went to to demonstrate. All the more of this temple that I am building is more glorious when I fill it with myself. And that temple is called humanity. And I will fill myself as the glory that they carry is more than Solomon's temple has ever carried. I will fill them with myself. It's more than any other temple I've ever built. You and I are the latter glory of the temple being filled with the very presence of God. So when we come to worship, do you know what we're doing? We're protecting the living temple of the Holy Spirit. The flame of God that has redeemed and purchased you and set you apart forever as Levites and priests before the living God. You and I have the privilege that no one in the Old Testament ever got to experience. That's why worshiping the Lamb of God is the center of all we do. So you guys, you've heard of this guy, Nehemiah. Nehemiah led the third group out of exile. So uh, Zerubbabel led the first, Ezra led the second, Nehemiah led the third. And and Nehemiah, we're not going to get into this today. Um, And most of you guys know the story of Nehemiah. But the very first thing that Nehemiah does when he goes to restore the city, which is the outworkings of, of our life, our authority, our finances, our family, like our testimony, the story of God's goodness in our life. That's us as a believer, the altar first, the temple second, and then the testimony third. What everybody else sees on the outside. The very first thing Nehemiah did, and this is in Nehemiah chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. He has the high priest restore the sheep gate. And the sheep gate is called the sheep gate because that's where they brought mostly sheep, but all the sacrifices that were burnt on the altar through. So even in every all of the outworkings, our first priority has to be worship. Even in your business, your education, at your home, even in your marriage, even in everything that you and I do, there has to be a gate of worship. There has to be an entry point where the sacrifices of our life fuel the flame of God. See, no man can light the fire. We only steward the fire of God. We steward the fire of God that God himself lit. And I've said this before, but when they first established the tabernacle, God consumed the sacrifice. And on the day of Pentecost, when the new creation was reborn and the Holy Spirit came, he lit a fire that consumed 120. He lit the sacrifice on the day of Pentecost of the Holy Spirit indwelling a believer. All we're doing is just stewarding the flame of God that has been lit in our lives. So we're going to worship for the remainder of our time together. 
And, and I want you guys to relax. It's just going to take a few minutes, and we are going to have lunch, which smells amazing. Um, but I wanted to quickly break down a song that we sing together. So if you could take a look at your bulletin or the one you're sharing with your neighbor, the last song we didn't sing, Here I Am. Uh, we're going to just go through this line by line, and I'm going to point out some interesting things. So it starts out, you know, I love to worship you. Maybe that doesn't seem like a true statement for you. Declare it anyway. Bow down low before you. Hey, I'm coming in a, in a uh, humility here. I love to sit at your feet. I love to sing your praise. Stand in your awesome glory. And I love to look at your face. We sing this a lot. So here's where things get interesting. We bring so little to the table. But when we do, we set up a place for God to be honored. So here I am. I'm just a human voice. This voice, there's a limit to how far away they can hear it. There's a limit to the noise I can make or the things I can communicate with my voice. Have you been in a situation where you didn't have words? Whether you were hurt or angry or just feeling love, there was no way for you to express how you felt. So your human voice and language has limitations. Incidentally, uh, we had a good discussion in my house because Levi asked lots of hard questions. So language is created. We've all been taught... and and. We've, we've actually witnessed language evolve over time. So I think we're confused when we, that we think it started with grunts and became what it is today. Languages are created and they change over time. I thought that was interesting because, you know, Adam and Eve weren't grunting in the garden. They were talking with God. So all those caveman comics that are real funny don't allow them to create your belief system. So here I am, a human voice. And the funniest part about this is I didn't create this voice. It sounds the way it sounds because God created it that way. You've heard me say this before. Some of you guys sound kind of funny. Some of you guys sound kind of funny when you sing. I can sound funny when I sing, right? You've heard it. Okay. God created the voice. He wants to hear the voice he created express love to him. Using the example of my, my wife, if all day long I was like, I love you, honey. She would be annoyed. She wouldn't feel love. If I use my real voice and my real words. All right. So here I am, a human voice with simple songs. Some songs are complicated. We usually do the simple ones. We did all simple ones today. Uh, so the song in itself is not something amazing. And they're not really special on their own. They're not going to make some book of poetry if you just hold it up like it's a written word. But when it's offered as a sacrifice to the Lord, the Lord sends that song. So, and then we say, send me Lord anywhere, any situation, any place, among any people where you want a throne. Now that's kind of a weird line. So what is a throne? It's a place of honor in any situation or circumstance. If we had a king, which we don't, praise Jesus, he would sit his throne all kinds of places, and that would be his place of honor. So when we worship, we're actually establishing in the spiritual realm a place for God to inhabit. The Bible says God inhabits what? The praises of his people. So we're setting up a throne for God. And in this song in particular, we're talking about setting up that throne, places it may not belong. 
We say, send me, Lord, to anywhere you want a throne because I will sing your praise. So there's another, there's another verse of the song. We're just going to skip that today. I want you to look at the bridge. Keep in mind that when we, we honor God with praise in every circumstance and situation, we sing this to further shift the atmosphere. I'll sing your promises in every hard place. How many of you know the person that wrote this song was in a hard place? And they decided they were going to sing the promises of God in that hard place. And what do you think that does when we do that? It changes the atmosphere of the hard place. So then I'm going to sing your mercy, how merciful you are. I'm going to sing your goodness. Remember, we're still in the hard place. I'm going to sing your goodness, even though I haven't seen it all right now for what I'm believing you for. I'll sing your great love. I'll sing your saving grace. I'll sing your faithfulness. I'll sing your praise. No matter what I see with my eyes, no matter what my experience, I'm going to sing this out. Then the songwriter has us shift our perspective. The song we bring is simple, and our human voice is not significant in the grand scheme of things. But we aren't just human. We are a human that has the living God inside of us singing. So we sing, in my tiny hands, in my tiny voice, in this tiny room, hey, right? There's a great big God. In my tiny hands, in my tiny voice, in this tiny room, there's a great big God. Now there's something, it's not on your bulletin, but we sing it out a lot with this song. We sing this, O mountain be removed. What are you, great mountain? What are you, great mountain? Get out. Get out of the way. I'm not climbing over you. I mean, I will if I have to, but I don't have time for that, right? We've got no time for climbing you. Just get out of our way. Mark eleven twenty three. I'm just going to read this. You guys know what verse I'm referring to. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. You can climb the mountain if you want to. I want the mountain to get out of my way. All right. And then we sing, oh, sickness, be rebuked. There's this mentality. And sometimes it's been our experience and we will do this too. But there's this mentality where healing has to be a process. We have to earn it somehow. We have to pray the right prayers, connect all the dots, and then we'll see the healing happen. The reality, and I've been quoting this verse to you guys for a few weeks, 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself carried our sins on his body on the cross so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. That's what we are. We're dead to sin. We're going to live for righteousness. And then it says, Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. So we say, sickness, be rebuked. We don't have to war with you. It doesn't have to be a wrestling match. Jesus already paid for the healing. Just go away. We're, we're going to transition into worship. And I want you guys, just, just go ahead and stand up and begin to focus on the Lord. And there is an altar of the living God inside of you. You provide a sacrifice of worship to keep the flame burning. You may think your voice is insignificant. But as you worship today, take your place of authority and allow the presence of God to change the way you think and heal your body and your mind. So we're going to take some time. We're going to sing.
pre-service prayer, um, somebody had a vision of a river of grace being here today. the moment pass you by just begin to extend forgiveness it doesn't mean you'll let it happen to you again it just means you're releasing the person from any punishment you could bring grace 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 great grace there is grace
Some other things are not going to coexist with His presence inside of us. So just allow the Holy Spirit to be your guide as you go forth with this new revelation. Be committed to lay down the things that hinder what God is building inside of you. So we thank you, Father, for what you're doing among us. We give you all the glory and honor. We invite your presence to challenge us and bring us in to everything that you have for us. Just want to encourage you guys that if you felt convicted during any moment, of our time together today and you were not able to resolve that conviction if you weren't able to lay down an offense or repent for a sin or cast down something that's an idol in your life there are safe people here that would love to help you walk through that process Today there is a river of grace, grace among us. And we don't want to leave the river until we've dealt with everything that we need to. So Father, we're so grateful. We pray that you would bless our time together 
as we fellowship, as we pray for each other, as we come together, not easily offended, but walking in your love. We thank you, Father. Just take one more minute and thank him with your voice. I'm so grateful, God. I'm so grateful, God. You're so good to us. We thank you, Father. Just take a minute and, and listen and allow the Holy Spirit to move inside of you. Follow us on Facebook or connect with us on Instagram. Visit dwellatthewell.com or come out and see us on a Sunday morning, 228 Ridge Avenue, Souderton, Pennsylvania. I'm taking a Well